0: Well, no Tyler McComas today. He is out. I am here. Travis Davidson is in. Grillboy joining us from the 918. And you get four hours of this duo. So sorry if that's a disappointment to some of y'all. Maybe that's exactly what you wanted on a Wednesday afternoon. If so, well, you're in for a treat. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. Obviously, I think there has been plenty of discourse already today about the whole NIL conversation and the interview that made the rounds with Crimson & Cream Collective's Jason Belzer yesterday. I'm sure that is something we will touch on. There is recruiting news to get to. Uh, It's National Signing Day, for for what that's worth to anybody. No major OU-related storylines. And then, of course, in the aftermath of Toby Keith's untimely passing, Porter Moser and the Sooners basketball squad come up with a very emotional victory over BYU last night at the Lloyd Noble Center as they continue to try and stabilize what has been a tumultuous season in the Big 12 Conference thus far. With that, Travis Davidson, how we doing on a Wednesday?
1: Man, doing, doing well, and you know what's funny? These Tuesday games, Parker, for the basketball team, me knowing that I'm on Wednesdays, like, the, 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 the one, one time of the week where I, you know, get my, my three hours typically with Tyler, now obviously uh, kicking it old school uh, Twitter space uh, with you. But I was like, God, I, I really hope radio's going to be just awful tomorrow for four hours if we get blown out at home by BYU or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so selfishly, I was like, God, I really hope we win. I really don't want to talk about another loss on a Wednesday. So, big win Last night, uh, you know, obviously did it with honoring Toby Keith. Uh, really cool moment of silence. Obviously bringing his guitar, a red solo cup, and a cap to his seat. Uh, you know, Porter was on uh, with uh, with Toby after the game and talked about how he was actually noticing the songs that they play now. And they were playing Toby Keith music and everybody was singing along, things like that. Uh, you know, shout out to... Leah Beasley and a bunch of those folks over there to to pull things together that quickly, um, while still dealing with you know a lot of the emotion of the day, right? Because they still got jobs to do, and they and they have the responsibility of making sure that you know they do it tastefully, and, and they did it well. They did do it well. Credit
0: to all of those folks that were involved last night, and of course. Credit to Porter Moser and his bunch for coming away with a huge victory. We will talk basketball, I'm sure, at some point in a more expanded capacity over the next four hours. But this 2 o'clock hour, locked in, is, of course, a recruiting-focused hour. And with that, Travis, we have some news. And the news is, of course, well, yes, it is National Signing Day. No, there is really not anything going on that pertains to the University of Oklahoma. But... OU did pick up a commit over the weekend from their second junior day, their February junior day, that being offensive tackle Ryan Fojay from Bridgeland, Texas. And as of today, Travis, Ryan Fojay is officially a blue chip player. He has received a four-star ranking from the scouting team over at Rivals, which of course is the network where you can find OU Insider. Go grab a subscription at OUinsider.com. Great place to stay up to date on all the the behind-the-scenes in OU athletics, specifically football and recruiting. But Rivals thinks Ryan Fojay is a bona fide blue chipper. Obviously, Bill Biedenboe shares that perception as he was willing to take Fojay's commitment on Sunday, even with the likes of Lamont Rogers, Michael Fasusi, Ty Haywood, Andrew Babalola, and others still on the board and uncommitted. Now, Travis, you and I have not had the chance to discuss the addition of Fojay. As you've kind of dug into what kind of player he is slash what he can be, what do you think there is to like about the addition of Ryan Fogey to this 2025 class?
1: Well, I think what I initially liked before even diving into Ryan the player was Ryan's location, Bridgeland. We don't get a ton of players from there. There have been good ones uh, from there, uh, and it would be nice to, you know, we always talk about the term pipeline, right? Uh, you know, we've we've picked up, you know, preferred walk-ons recently from Bixby. Um, we've obviously got the Carl Albert pipeline rocking and rolling. You know, there was some thought at one point that we might get an LSN pipeline going. Anyways, people talk about it a lot. Well, Bridgeland is a is a place where you'd like to have a pipeline, right? So I was impressed by that initially uh, because not only does that school do a lot of things, I think Emmett Jones is getting us into some doors in Texas that we may not have been in the past. So just the direction of the program when you're getting into these high schools, I think that's important for people to realize. But as far as the prospect goes, I mean, I, I love it. I love that Bill Bedenboe took a guy knowing That a lot of people are hearing the big names, the Fasuces, the Lamont, all these guys that are like, hey, we want these guys. And he says, you know what, I like this guy a lot, I trust my evaluation, he takes a three star, and by the time he has a cup of coffee, he's already a four star, so... (laughs) Uh, I, I like the timing of it. I like the confidence from Bill Biedenbow with it. Uh, I like his frame. He's got a big frame, obviously could stand to put on a little bit more weight, and that's obviously something that he will do. He's currently a junior in high school. I know, personally, I put on plenty more weight when I got to college uh, compared to my junior in high school weight. So, no, I really like the. I really like the pickup, and, again, I really like the location of the pickup.
0: Very flattering text on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line from A-Train, who says, Parker, you're really all I need for this afternoon programming. You're the best Nebraska transplant ever. Thank you, A-Train. Although, in this state, I don't have a ton of competition, at least not that I can think of offhand. It's uh, me and Wallace Marsh, I think, we're going head-to-head.
1: Now that Jordy Ball's gone, you've, you've probably moved up the rank just slightly. Oh, that's true.
0: I forget about Jordy Ball, mostly because she isn't here anymore. But, yes, there was a moment in time where Jordy Ball was definitely higher on that list than I am. But now she's back in the 402. I'm still hanging here in the 405 with all of y'all. Now, 10 commits in Oklahoma's 2025 class at this point in time, Travis. Now, it's a question that has been raised before, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it because – You know, the more perspectives, the more knowledgeable perspectives we can get on something like this, uh, the clearer picture it lends to the fan base as they look ahead to the class that Oklahoma is going to have the potential to sign in 2025. Uh, Is 10 commits this early too many? Is there a world in which you've taken all these kids early in the process and maybe these evaluations don't look as good 10 months from now? as they do right this second, and you can't upgrade from those guys because you have to honor the commitments uh, that they made to you. What do you think?
1: No, I I try and look at everything now, Parker, through a lens of foundation, continuity, steadiness, things like that, right? like Because everything else in the sport as we know it is changing. You know, the transfer portal's got – new rosters every year. I mean, look at basketball. You, you could have five new guys. You could have a new starting five every year in reality, right? You've got, you know, NIL going crazy. You've got tampering issues that have been well-documented. You've got, you know, Tennessee suing the NCAA. You've got all this just just chaos everywhere. Shout out the baseball team. Chaos everywhere. And I think taking a class and, and taking them when they're ready to commit is – is good. These guys are going to be commits for a long time. They're going to get to know each other. They're going to be able to go to camps, national camps, and wear their OU gloves and actually mean it this time, you know what I mean? Um, I, I I think it's awesome, and especially since we've got, what, six of them from the state of Oklahoma? So, I mean, I think you're starting to build that foundation. These guys are less likely to leave you in the portal because these guys they're they're playing for their home team right so I love the Oklahoma heavy class and I think having them commit early and sticking with them long term I think it adds on that kind of foundation that that sense of continuity that you know Brent Venables is really trying to put together in the face of chaos a 918
0: listener on the text line says Parker you don't talk about Runza enough to be the best Nebraskan in the state listen i try not to annoy you all with the amount of nebraska culture talk that i share but if i need to talk about runs a more by all means i'm happy to we can spend a whole hour of this show on runs. we won't do that but uh, as i mentioned off the top (laughs) a lot of ground to cover on this wednesday We'll talk recruiting, we will talk basketball, we will talk NIL, we will field your questions on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Obviously, when we do this, old-school Twitter space style, as many have dubbed it, chat GBT, Boy and Thune, that's what we got for the next four hours here on The Ref. So, interact, hit us up on the text line, let us know what you would like inside on, or what you have opinions on because much as we enjoy sharing our opinions with all of you, we want to hear your opinions as well and your perspective. So, again, 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, and we are just getting started here on a Wednesday afternoon. This is The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Keep it right here, and we'll be right back. It's ChatGBT here on a Wednesday Grillboy and Thune, Travis Davidson. From Tulsa, I am Parker Thune here at the Alameda Street Studios in Norman. The Buffalo Wild Wings Studios at that. The Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line always open to you. 405-651-3439. We're getting a lot of NIL texts right now. Understandably so. I want to shelve that discussion for another segment. Hit it at the bottom of the hour Here in about 15 minutes, because I think we're going to need a while to unpack that entire conversation, Travis. Uh, a 572 listener, I had no idea. Is that an Oklahoma zip code, 572, Travis?
1: Not one that I recognize, but, you know, they're, 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 I feel like they're making new ones every day. So uh, uh, not so, one that I recognize, though. Yeah,
0: this, this area code says 572. And it registers as Oklahoma, but that is that is a new one to me. However, he said, Evening, fellas. I was pondering as to how we shalt becometh named on the texting line. Well, all you have to do is give us your name. And, you know, on a day like this where we're getting a lot of text line interaction, that's something I encourage all of you to do. If we're not referencing you by name when we read your texts, let us know your name so that we can add you and uh, know who you are every single time you chime in. Guy from Parts Unknown, a regular texter, says, Travis, 100% right on North Houston. I have a childhood friend coached at Claremore Jenks and Booker T. Washington before landing down there. He once told me there was more talent in his zip code than the entire state of Oklahoma. And maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic, maybe not so much, But the reality is, down in the Lone Star State, Travis, and this is a pretty well-known reality, the density of talent blows every other state out of the water. There is more talent concentrated in the state of Texas than anywhere else in the contiguous United States. And thus, it pays to have strong inroads down there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the state of Georgia obviously would – uh, would rival it on like a per capita basis, but West Texas is kind of the reason for a lot of that. Um, west Texas, yeah, <laughs> West of Amarillo, where the the westernmost Brahms is located.
0: That's In right, Amarillo.
1: We discovered that, didn't we? Yes, yes. But yeah, I think it's it's all about building out those areas, and I and like I said, with Emmett Jones being able to recruit that area so well, really the whole state of Texas so well. Um, you know, it it always helps to get the whole gang in on it. And like I said, with with with, with Foji committing already a four-star, it's going to quiet some of the – well, it's a three-star. Of course, Bill Bedenboe got him. It's going to quiet some of that. I do want to ask you, though, Parker, now that Foji has jumped out, because some people don't realize, like, these juniors, like not all of them have received their rankings. Not all of them have received – you know, like they haven't charted everybody out – uh, not all the services have, at least. So these, these are a little bit fluid while they're juniors, and they really get trued up uh, over the summer before in their senior year and then most certainly during their senior year. So who do you see that's currently committed to the class being a candidate for a star jump? A star jump. Ooh. Okay,
0: so i got to think about the guys that are currently three stars and have the potential to add a fourth, or the guys that are currently four stars, and have the potential to add a fifth. I think in the realm of guys with four stars that have the potential to add a fifth, I think especially because he plays the quarterback position, the easy answer is Kevin Sperry, right? Like if he tears it up this offseason on the 7v7 circuit and has a strong performance at the Elite 11 and follows that up with some really impressive senior film, it's easy to foresee him taking a Jackson-Arnold type of leap as a senior, right? Because that he's in the same ballpark that Arnold was going into the offseason of his junior year. Arnold was a mid-tier four-star guy regarded across the board as an elite dude, a blue chipper, no question about it. But it wasn't until the Elite 11 that the five-star conversation started to seriously come into play. With Jackson Arnold. And I think the same could be true for Kevin Sperry. Now, I I think there are several guys right now among the ranks of three stars that will add a fourth. I think Owen Hollenbeck is easily, easily a four star dude. I think the same for Marcus James. And I think Kamari Moore very quietly up there at Lee's Summit North. I know nobody likes Lee's Summit North right now for obvious reasons, but Kamari Moore's locked in with Oklahoma. He has never wavered, and he is an absolute stud, disruptive as all get out on the field on Friday nights, and he has lived up to the billing uh, down in San Antonio last month at the All-American Combine, and generally, whenever he gets the opportunity to showcase his skills up against other elite talent, man, those are battles that he is winning. Love the way that he plays so Travis is as I evaluate the recruiting class right now as it stands just knowing what I know about some of these guys in comparison to where they are ranked right now I think that's kind of the short list for me Sperry Hollenbeck Marcus James Kamari Moore
1: okay yeah Hollenbeck would have been my my first and then Moore would have been my second just seeing what they've done uh, you mentioned down in San Antonio Kamari Moore putting on a show down there and then Owen Hollenbeck doing the same. It's it's so much of it feels like these camps, these all-American all-star type events, all things like that at times feels like they almost outweigh some of the film because there's there are just so many kids to scout. Parker like there's so, like there's so many thousands. So when you get them all in one place, it's just so much easier and you get them good on good, especially in the lineman, because it's tough. Because offensive lineman, you know, you should be able to manhandle a lot of the high school talent, right? Defensive lineman, you should be able to get by if you're a, th- even if you're a three star, you're likely among the most talented or the most talented on the field. But getting it good on good is really where you can see those jumps. And I thought Owen Hollenbeck and Kamari Moore both uh, both made a, a a nice showing. But you know, that's the way we get higher rankings through the you know you catch and almost let them develop up to four stars how about just getting a five star a guy like jonah williams perhaps we could just instead of waiting for somebody else to become a five star parker how about we just go get a five star (laughs) well
0: easier said than done generally speaking but obviously oklahoma is in good shape With one of the five-star players in the 2025 class, as things stand right now, a guy that has already elevated his status nationally to become one of the more coveted and most highly regarded defenders in the entire nation, that is a conversation that I'm sure we will have later on in the show. I want to remind you all that the 2 o'clock hour is brought to you by Dorsey Jones Buick GMC in El Reno, family-owned and operated. They pride themselves on having the best service technicians and friendly service advisors that put your needs first. And they have half-price oil changes on Saturdays. That's a heck of a deal, especially for somebody that has to get their oil changed as often as I do. Uh, Back to the text line here. Drew from Flower Mound asks, Parker, where do Fasusi and Haywood, besides height and weight, differentiate from each other as o-linemen in your opinion who has the better chance to play immediately in college and who has the higher ceiling high uh, obviously haywood is the bigger dude i think what makes fasusi so appealing and part of the reason that he is already a five star and is going to have his pick the litter as to where he goes to school and the same is true for haywood he just doesn't have the same status among evaluators as Fasusi does and I think that's because it's kind of the same reason there's such high hopes for Daniel Ock and Kunmi at Oklahoma and that is because Fasusi comes from a soccer background and footwork is so important among offensive linemen it is so important for offensive linemen to have quick feet uh, to be able to move laterally with ease and oftentimes Travis when you think about some of the big name recruits that have not panned out over the years, and really there's no better example of this than Bray Walker, right? What, what was the reason Bray Walker didn't pan out? Well, it's because he was slow. It's because he did not have good feet. He was a mountain of a human being, six foot seven and 350 pounds, but he couldn't move well. And when you can't move well, that can be a death knell. And that can be the reason you never see the field at the Power 5 level, level, but for a guy like Fasusi, who has that elite footwork, in addition to the frame, an athletic plus-size frame that you will be able to pack additional muscle onto, in so many ways, that is exactly what a collegiate offensive line coach is looking for. Fasusi is exactly what you want. Somebody that is still a little bit on the raw side, not a finished product. You don't want finished products showing up to campus because – those guys hit their ceiling, and that's really all you're getting from them. So, if you've hit your ceiling before you face collegiate competition, uh, you're probably going to have a rough go of it. So, you want them to be a little bit raw and unfinished, not necessarily undeveloped, but unfinished. But you also want them to be excellent on their feet, and Fasusi sure is, Travis.
1: Yeah, and you have heard of offensive linemen making sure they develop that footwork, even by taking ballet. I forget what um, what NFL offensive lineman popularized that, but now it's it's dare I say common amongst NFL offensive linemen is they'll take ballet classes, they'll do anything to get that footwork right. And Parker, if you're an NFL offensive lineman and you're willing to take ballet, then it's got to help. Like like <laughs> it's got to help. So, uh, yeah, the footwork is absolutely everything. But keep in mind, and I'm glad you brought up the the raw portion of that, is some of Oklahoma's best offensive linemen that they've had weren't even offensive linemen in high school. Bingo. So, I mean, about to have a first-rounder that played tight end and defensive line and then got to Oklahoma and Bill Biedenboe turned him into a first-rounder, right? I mean, I look at a guy, honestly, like Logan Howland, who's – got an opportunity before he leaves oklahoma to really turn some heads and 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 make it into the nfl so people need to remember that as well it's offensive lineman is very difficult to evaluate Uh, bill bedenboe says you know after the game he's still got to go back through and you know look at the grade out all the players He's said in the past that he gets kind of annoyed with a lot of the services that try and put a grade on a, on the offensive line's performance immediately after the game. It's like, I, I, I've been doing this for this long, and I still need to look at the film. Who are these guys who think they can judge the, the offensive line play immediately? So there's a lot to it. There's no doubt about it. But I really feel like this 2025 offensive line class, like you said, it's going to be similar to last year's defensive line class. You're going to take some numbers. That being said, Parker, how many offensive linemen do you think this class ends up with? Do you think it gets – knowing that it's already going to be a smaller class and you're going to have to kind of earmark a certain number towards the offensive line, I think we take more than four. Do you think we take more than four? And if so, how many more than four?
0: I I struggle to think Oklahoma takes more than four unless – a potential fifth guy is just too good or too promising to say no to, right? There are certain guys where you will make a spot for them. For instance, if somebody like Bryant Wesco had had second thoughts at the end of last cycle and tried to beat down the door at Oklahoma and said, hey, Emmett, I want in, you're not going to tell that kid no, right? Sure, you already have four wide receivers committed. You're going to take a dude like that. And so I I look at Oklahoma's current scholarship distribution – on the offensive line, and you're going to have, by my count, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, at least nine or ten players that have three or more years of eligibility left. And so you have a ton of young talent in your offensive line room. You will have some guys graduating next season. Certainly, you will have spots to fill, dudes to replace. But With as much young talent as Bill Biedenboe has accumulated in that room, and I know you're not immune to portal casualties as well, I I don't feel like there is much of a need for that kind of critical mass in the offensive line room. There may be a more immediate need for experience in the portal cycle next year if the Sooners are moving forward without some of those graduating seniors and Biedenboe doesn't necessarily feel comfortable about what he's got in some of those younger guys coming up. So I tend to think the number is four. It could expand to five, maybe. But, again, I think you're really looking at a scenario where it it has to be the right five if Oklahoma is going to expand it like that. The NIL questions continue to fly, and we are going to start addressing them. We will play the clip from Jason Belzer, the director, or I'm sorry, the CEO of Student Athlete NIL, involved, of course, with the Crimson and Cream Collective. He had some interesting comments on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast about Caden Green and how that whole situation went down this past winter. So we'll discuss that. We'll discuss the NIL conversation, start to tackle the NIL conversation on the large scale. Coming up next, here on the ref. The home of Sooner fans, keep it right here. Back with you here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans, Parker Thune and Travis Davidson rolling with you all the way until 6 p.m. local time. Appreciate you tuning in with us, whether you're listening on your radio dial or via the app in the Sooner State or anywhere in the world. And I know we have listeners checking in from all over today. However, Old Shuck from Tahlequah, Hit the text line and said, I'd like to nominate Cookson, Oklahoma, for small town of the day. My grandfather was born down there. He was a World War II veteran for the 45th and a huge Sooner fan. Passed away in 2016 at 95 years old. His name was Grady. Well, old Chuck, uh, your wish is granted. Cookson, Oklahoma, is the small town of the day. And if you want to chime in on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, you're more than welcome. 405 651 Thirty-four, thirty-nine. Now, as we prepare to open the box that is NIL Travis, I want to, I want to first make sure we're on the same page here. Have you gotten the chance to listen to Jason Belzer's full comments yesterday on the under the visor podcast?
1: Yes. Yes, okay. I have.
0: So we are both prepared to attack this conversation uh, with the same uh, body of knowledge as shared by Jason Belzer uh, yesterday on the podcast. Now, his comments included uh, this one, which you were listening, if you were listening during the 12 o'clock hour, I believe Steely played this same clip. But uh, naturally, this is one that Missouri fans latched on to, uh, took it as an opportunity uh, to call Oklahoma broke on social media and spin the narratives, as they do. But here, here is what Jason Belzer the CEO of student athlete NIL had to say about the situation regarding Oklahoma and their NIL agreement that never came to pass with Caden Green and his family. Here we go. We basically came close to matching what he had asked. And then he sort of said, you know what, I'm going to go and go into the portal or whatever. And it was done. Right. So we were not in control, right? At the end of the day, we can only have those conversations. That being said, I can tell you, and I don't mind saying this on the record, there was some substantial tampering that was occurring with him. And there was tampering that was occurring with his direct, I believe his father is really his agent. I don't know if he actually has an agent directly that's mm-hmm. working with him. But there were conversations that were happening with, him while he was still a student athlete he wasn't in the portal we saw a lot of that this year well 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 I thought it was interesting Travis because you know I'm sitting there and Jason Belzer is obviously a very prominent figure in the NIL space he manages 38 collectives not just Oklahoma's but 38 collectives across the FBS and you know, it's one thing to kind of have the unspoken understanding that, OK, this is happening behind the scenes. But for somebody with that type of prominence in the field to go on the record and say, hey, this is happening and like this is normal now. We're, we're seeing this a lot. Very, very interesting stuff, is it not?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that like we know, but for somebody to come out and say it, that is. Like you said, I, I think the most important thing for people to understand about all of this is Jason Belzer does not work for Oklahoma. Yep. like He is not employed by the university. He doesn't just run Crimson and Cream NIL collective. None of that. He's over, like you said, 38 collectives. So when he's talking about, you know, things going on, it's, it's not just he's got the crimson-colored glasses on, and he's like, yep, grew up a Sooner fan. I'm here representing represent the Crimson Cream NIL. No, that's not what this is. You know, that that's – and when you look at it through that lens, you can – you can, I think, appreciate the information so much more because at if you just assume that he was Crimson Cream NIL, you'd be like, oh, well, this guy's just, you know – he's just – of course he says that it's really well-managed and this, that, and the other because he's the one managing it. Like, but – you know, it is what it is. As far as the Caden Green stuff, we all know, we know it happens with everybody. I mean, heck, Caden Proctor got on an interview and said, yeah, Iowa reached out to me in the middle of the year to check on me. Like, we just know that it happens. I, for one, am going to be glad when I never have to hear Caden Green's name again. <laughs> because it's just, man. I mean, everybody knows And and I get, obviously, why you guys have to talk about it with with Jason because, obviously, his perspective on it is very valuable. But, man, we know we got done dirty with the tampering. And the question is, Parker, you know, where does it have to get to for you and and the text line? I want to get your answers, too. Uh, Hit up the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line 405-651-3439 when would you if you were head coach uh, of the Oklahoma Sooners when would you start tampering essentially like if it's if it's a situation where it's it everybody does it it's not enforced like when when would you go across that line would you do it if your job was at risk if if it became hey look you, you know, Oklahoma's fell out of the top 25 in recruiting because, you know, they aren't, you know, doing this, that, or the other. Not that we ever will under Brent Venables. But how do you feel about that?
0: I guess my answer to that, Travis, is and I thought it was interesting to also, and it wasn't included in that particular clip, but at a certain point uh, in the interview, Jason was very, very candid about it. He said, hey, look, Oklahoma does not operate this way. And again, I'll remind you, Jason Belzer doesn't work for the University of Oklahoma. He manages 38 collectives. So somebody that doesn't necessarily have to go on record and say something like that, and it doesn't, it's no skin off his nose, uh, whether, that's get put out, uh, whether that gets put out there or not. He said Oklahoma does not play that game. Oklahoma does not engage in those types of practices. And I guess the question I have, Travis, is, is this ever going to pan out for a team that basically hires a bunch of mercenaries via NIL to play football for them? Because we we have seen teams that have been bought, if you will, have some success have winning records i guess but again the programs that everybody points to at least in recent years ever since nil became legal the programs that stand out as the most shining examples of okay this school is absolutely unambiguously buying their recruiting class the texas a&ms and miamis of the world for instance those teams aren't competing for championships travis and so it's a text we get a lot well Oklahoma has to play this game otherwise they're going to get left behind do we know that to be the case because no, I'm, who's leaving them behind right now
1: yeah I'm I mean I'm in that camp of look A&M was known as I mean that 2022 class was the highest ranked recruiting class in the modern era and it fell apart. Half of them aren't even in College Station anymore. The coach is is fired, you know, sipping out of a coconut somewhere, and it didn't work. Now, you look at other places like Tennessee. Yeah, they had that really good year, but they kind of took a step back last year, right? Now, do they take a step back up with Nico? It remains to be seen. Ole Miss is going to throw their hat in the ring. Miami has been a poster child for NIL, and I mean, they've been Largely garbage uh, for the last uh, I don't know 15 years, call it a decade, and so I I agree with that, but we don't we don't know what the effects will be of this really for another what three or four years because of how the recruiting's being done. I mean, some people might look at it as well. Clemson doesn't use the portal because that's just not the way that they operate. Well is this going to go by way of kind of using the portal of saying like, hey, you're behind the times. You're not adapting, so you might be dying if you don't start doing it the way they're doing. Now, that's why I brought it up, you know, in our opening segment. It's... Oh, it's it's built on foundation it, it's built foundationally, it's built with continuity. You look at the coordinator hires, you look at the coordinator promotion, this that and the other like everything's built on continuity. We're recruiting Oklahoma heavy, not only because Oklahoma has a lot of talent in the 2025 cycle, but because you build the foundation with Oklahoma kids. Switzer used to build the foundation with Oklahoma kids. And so I I think Oklahoma's really digging their heels in and I personally think that it can be very successful. I think you can win a championship by doing it, but man, it's, I I don't want to be sitting here, you know, a decade from now, Parker saying, well, at least we, at least we did it the right way. I know, I know we (laughs) fight to go 500 every year, but you know what? At least we did it the right way. Well,
0: and look, here's, here's the one thing that I will point to. um, And we got to hit a break here. We'll get back. We'll get right back to this conversation and it it will no doubt bleed into the three o'clock hour, but The national champions over the last 10 seasons in college football have been Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia again, and then, of course, Michigan this past year. The teams that win championships aren't winning championships because they're buying players, whether legally or illegally. The teams that are winning championships are are winning championships because they have elite coaching staffs, a tradition of excellence to recruit around, and they are development forward. LSU may be the one, you know, they're maybe the black sheep of the bunch where they did things a little bit differently, but there's no denying that was one of the greatest college football teams uh, that the sport has ever seen. So, again, we will continue this conversation on the other side. Uh, there's a lot more to unpack. The texts are flying in. We want to hear from all of you. We certainly are hearing from all of you, and we'll hit some of your texts coming up next. And certainly, as the 3 o'clock hour arrives here on The Ref, this is the Home of Sooner Fans. Don't go anywhere. Winding down the 2 o'clock hour here on Locked In. This is the ref, the home Sooner fans, Meyer Chevrolet text line available to you, 405-651-3439. And let's go there quickly. Uh, We are running up against the top of the hour, but we will be able to restart this conversation in earnest once the 3 o'clock hour does arrive. For the moment, though, let's hit this uh, text from Chonky Chuck in the 572, which is an area code in Oklahoma that I did not know existed until today. He says, utilize NIL – for the betterment of players, not selling out for players, BV's method is wise and thoughtful, willing to let someone go somewhere else if they're asking too much for the sake of the culture. Thoughts, Travis Davidson?
1: Well, I agree. But my thoughts are, you know, what is, like, what, what's too much, right? Like, we talk about dropping bags, right? Oh, they dropped the bag, they bought this, bought that. Well, right now, I think the number was, what, $44,000 per student athlete? Okay, well, what is what if that gets up to 80000 Is that then buying them, or is that just doing right by them by providing more NIL money? Like, like where are we willing to draw the line, or where where, where is the line in people's minds? And I want people to think about this on the break. <clears throat> like, what defines right? What is the right way to do it? You say, I want OU to do this the right way. Okay. Tell me tell me specifically what the right way is. If it's not much NIL, then why is that the right way? Um, if it's increased NIL but not big lump sums and going and bagging people, why is that the right way? If it is bagging people, why is that the right way? That's what I kinda want to know because we're pro NIL but we're anti bag, but I, I just want to get some clarity on where some people are on this and then on the other side of the break, I want to get your thoughts on it, Parker.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another thing that Jason Belzer discussed yesterday in that interview that we've continued to cite on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast is one of the things that they measure in the NIL world is value over replacement. How much are you actually worth? And at what point does it simply make sense to move on to pursuing another player that is essentially of replacement value? Very sabermetric, for those of you that are familiar with Moneyball and the baseball side of things as far as management is concerned. All right, 3 o'clock hour up next. We'll continue this conversation and much more here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans.